Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shaylin Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. We are your co-hosts. And today we are very excited to welcome to the podcast Sister Lori Newbold, who is a member of the Young Women General Board. Sister Newbold, welcome to the Thank podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> We're so glad to have you. Yeah, we've been looking forward to this. Sister Newbold has such a unique and, to me, very impressive background, and we've really been looking forward to this conversation with her today. And just as a brief introduction, in addition to serving on the Young Women General Board, Sister Newbold is also employed by the church as the Worldwide Director of Training Services for Seminaries and Institutes of Religion. And she was trained and worked as a seminary teacher for many years throughout the Salt Lake Valley and was actually one of the program's very first female principals. And she also has a master's degree in mental health counseling and practice therapy for many years. So really interesting background, and we're excited to get to talk with you and learn from your expertise. So thanks again for being here. Thank you. So to jump in, you have kind of a unique and interesting life path, one that I would say not a lot of women in the church have been on or who have followed. So we would love to hear more about your path and how you got to where you are today and just some things that you've learned along the way. Again, I'm excited about this just to talk with you today. You're you're both wonderful, so thank you so much. It's kind of funny, actually, because I never wanted a career, right? Like, so that's, let me just start there. Like, I was ready to be like a stay-at-home mom. And so it's funny to me to even hear my name associated with career path, because that was definitely not my plan. Like, I went to BYU-Hawaii when I was a freshman, and I was confident that I was going to meet some beautiful Polynesian man, (laughs) and we were going to have beautiful Polynesian babies, (laughs) and I was going to be buried by 19 after, like, the most romantic year in, you know, at (laughs) BYU-Hawaii. Anyway, here I am. So dreams don't always come true, but we we have them anyway. But I—anyway, so I went through college. I got my degree in psychology, and somewhere along the line, I don't remember if it was before my mission or after my mission, seminary came across my radar. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there was a class uh, called Intro to Teaching Seminary. And uh, they, when I went to kind of check it out, they said, I was planning on serving a mission. And I went to the uh, Cincinnati, Ohio mission. And when I was there towards the end of it, I knew that I loved teaching, right? I love my mission. Mm-hmm. Like It was one of those things where I, th- I actually felt more like myself on my mission than I did when I was home, which I know kind of sounds weird to a lot of people, oh, but I love I love people. and being with people. Yeah, teaching and being with people. Like Those are my two passions, right? So towards the end of my mission, my, my mission president said, hey, why are you going to teach at the MTC when you get home? And I said, I don't know. And he's like, I think you should do that. So anyway, that's I, when I got home, I did that. And then somewhere in there, I ended up taking the intro to teaching seminary class. Mm-hmm. And I found out that I like really loved it. So it, when I first got hired, there was a policy that women couldn't teach if they had children in the home, mm-hmm. right? And so I knew that I, quote unquote, needed a backup degree. And so I did. I started my master's degree while I taught, and I ended up getting it, what I called my backup degree, because I wanted to teach seminary, but mm-hmm. if, you know, I also wanted to get married and thought, I'll have babies, and then if I have to work, I can do therapy. And mm-hmm. Anyway, so I just started kind of down that path, and then I ended up with my internship and everything, working two jobs for like eight years. I mean, it was pretty crazy <laughs> wow. working like 65, 70, sometimes 75, 80-hour weeks, you know, yeah. just trying to get it all in. And and then the policy changed while I was in seminary, so that, that was no longer a requirement. But at that point, you know, I was all in and had to finish my hours to get licensed and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So And learned probably some really valuable things along yeah. the way that have helped you and teaching. Oh, my heavens. Uh, Like, I consider them very similar to each other. 
Uh, at the heart and the root of both of them is change. As wonderful human beings who are doing the best that they can and need more truth in their lives. So whether somebody's coming to therapy or they're coming to a religion class, they just want to be more like the Savior. And even those who aren't of our faith or they want to be good. And so mm -hmm. the gospel word I use for that is more like the Savior. The secular word is have stronger morals and values. Mm -hmm. you know, call it whatever you want. The Lord is bringing people to Him in all ways at all times. I really love that. And as you were sharing your story, there's parts that really resonate, I think, with a lot of people. I mean, you were saying, I actually want to do this. I didn't want to do this. I didn't think that I'd do this. But then you were also saying you felt led, you know, in your heart or that Heavenly Father's orchestrating these things or even that things aren't working out. I just feel like a lot of people probably find themselves on this path that they never expected or that they didn't want mm -hmm. or, you know, they might be feeling discouraged or maybe some anxiety about that, like being on this path that they just didn't think or imagine for themselves. And so I'm just wondering what counsel would you have for those who have found themselves on these different paths? Any counsel or comfort, I think? Yeah, that's a really good question. Maybe two thoughts come to my mind. One was my own graduation from BYU. The professor, I don't know, I'd love to find him someday because I have no clue who he was. I still don't know his name, but he changed my life <laughs> in his graduation talk, which I never loved graduations, right? So, But I went to my own, which was awesome. And as I was there, he just said that if I can just give you one piece of advice when you leave, he said, it's to write your dreams in pencil. Hmm. And he gave an example of how he and his wife had planned their whole marriage to go serve a mission together, right? Righteous desires. They raise mm -hmm. a righteous family. They're excited to retire, go on missions. They go in to do their mission paperwork and find out she has cancer. Oh, wow. Right? And he just said, and, and so it was that moment for me where I had to decide I can either be upset with the Lord because our dream was now not a possibility. And, and such said, a good, wholesome, positive dream. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. Right? He said, or we could create a new dream. And I love that thought, right? And so that has been the only thing to my life that is true today that I thought would be when I was 18 is that I'm an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day mm -hmm. Saints. But everything else I had envisioned my life to be is not. It just hasn't happened, right? And so I know that sounds weird, but I have a life of broken dreams and unmet expectations <laughs> and unfulfilled mm -hmm. hopes in a lot of ways. And then also a life that is better. You know, there's the, the quote, that, you know, men and women who turn their lives over to God will find out that he can do way more with them than they could have done with themselves. And I think for me, so one of my go-to scriptures in my life along that line has been Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. And the Lord says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. And just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. And so whenever something doesn't turn out for me the way that I hoped or I'm expecting, I go back to that because the God and the Father that I know and worship and love and follow is directing my life because I've given it to Him and I've asked Him to. And so things are often not what I thought and hoped and planned. But that doesn't mean that they're wrong, and that doesn't mean I was wrong for hoping either, right? It just means he has what's right. And so I lean heavily on that verse to just kind of sit back and say, okay, his ways are not my ways. Clearly, this is not how I wanted it to be. How does he want it to be? And maybe one more scripture just because I love this story has made it. And it, we're recently coming off of Ether, right, mm -hmm. as far as come, the Come Follow Me study has been. I marvel at the verse— when they build the barges, and it's in Ether chapter 6, and they build the barges, 
and they get ready to go. And if you remember, there's the three problems, right? There's no light, there's no steering, and there's no air. So they poke a hole in for the air. And then the brother of Jared takes the stones for the light. But then there's the one of, we have no steering. So this is like unbelievable to me because in verse four of Ether chapter six, they gather all their stuff together. They prepare everything they get. They get in the vessels that have no steering. And they're about to get on these boats. For a year. <laughs> for a year with no steering. No control. No, yes. And so there's this line in there at the very end of verse four. This says, they got aboard of their vessels or barges and they set forth into the sea, commending themselves unto the Lord their God. And the word commending um, in the 1828 dictionary says to entrust their care to. That is one of like the most miraculous statements to me in all of scripture that people would jump on a boat heading out to the ocean. And then it tells you, right, describes their journey, fierceness of the winds, mighty tempests, like mountain waves broke upon them. And they have no ability to steer. They're being tossed all over. Or go back. Like, we want to go back. Yes. (laughs) The only way out is if you jump out of that barge, (laughs) right? It says, and it came to pass that the wind did it never cease to blow towards the promised land while they were upon the waters. And that is an unbelievable witness to me of who Heavenly Father is. And I think that's why when we're in moments where we can't see, we have to remember that when we are following him and doing our best in all of our weakness and all of our ugliness, the wind is not ceasing to direct us to the promised land, even if it's not the journey we wanted. They didn't get on a cruise ship. They didn't get on even a, a ski boat. They got on a barge with no steering and let God control and move them, which is miraculous to think about all of these barges, eight separate barges, and they all move from one location to the next together. It's incredible. The only way that happens is by a loving father who led their journey. So, you know, from the unexpected, that's the, to me, it's about relying on his nature, writing our dreams in pencil so that he can direct it and believing that his ways are higher and that he'll provide for us. I think we might feel at times that we don't have the faith to hand our lives over or to trust that he's doing that. But I like the counsel that you shared that it's just kind of one step at a time, really trusting in his nature, like you said. I really like that. I don't think we always have the faith enough, but you don't figure it out till you try it. And just trying is its own act of faith, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if we grow in faith, then the faith that I have today is not the same that I had as a 14-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. But I had enough faith then for what was needed. Mm-hmm. And that's that the cool time. thing, too, right, about God is that I think he wants to push us to expand our faith a little bit, but not beyond what we're able to do at the time with his help, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Just one step at a time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sister Newbold, I really love this. When we asked you what was on your mind when we were preparing for this interview, you shared a desire to discuss how important it is to develop a personal relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and how completely life-changing those relationships can be. And I think most of us as Latter-day Saints, we have this idea of what we need to do do to develop a relationship with God. But there's kind of this gap between knowing what to do, you know, maybe checking off these boxes more 
we know we need to pray. We know we need to read the scriptures, but then actually building this real relationship with our Savior and Heavenly Father. And so we're just wanting to know from your perspective what you would say, how do we move past just like checking these box of things that we know we need to do or that we should do? And then what are your specific ideas that you can share of how to make these relationships real and meaningful and concrete and enriching instead of just kind of this abstract or out of reach thing that we're working toward? That's such a good question. I think there's a couple of things. I, my sister and I talk about this often, right? Like about how sometimes how vague it feels because we say things like come unto Christ and then we're like, but how? I think there's a couple of things. So the first thing that I would say to your point, it's going to vary for everyone. And so the first thing that I would do is I would ask Heavenly Father, what do I need to do to develop a better relationship with you? So my mind goes to this. It kind of takes a mortal perspective of how do I want to develop a relationship with anyone? Mm-hmm. What would I do? Let me ask you that. Like, so if you're going to say, if, if you wanted to get to know somebody, like, what are some things you would do? Yeah. Oh, you're asking yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. We're both of you, right? Like, what are She's you, a seminary teacher. Yeah. That's oh, okay. a question. Um, <laughs> I didn't raise point. my hand, but okay. I think about this all the time. I think that I would ask them questions and I would want to spend time with them and just, you know, try and learn more about them. Super good. Carly, would you add anything that you would do to get to know somebody? Well, I just think I'm a big talker. And when I can, like, get a hold of a friend, I'm like, I need to talk to you. And (laughs) I've realized recently, I'm like, I need to do more listening. I just need to be a friend Mm -hmm. that will listen. I think that that's maybe a huge piece, too, in our relationship with Heavenly Father that is often missing. It's like I'm I'm doing a lot of talking, and I'm not really doing very much listening. Mm, Yeah. You know, I've had that recent thought, too, so maybe he's teaching us both something. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. So I think those, those are perfect examples. I mean, that's spot on. That's And I would, I would ask somebody, like, how do you get to know anybody? And then those same principles are true, right? So the first thing you said was I'd probably want to ask him questions. And what if our prayers weren't just a list of things, and not even a list, but even just talking to him about what we want and what we need? What if our prayers were asking him questions about him? What if our scripture study, you know, we know Sunday school wives are taught, read your scriptures. What if your intent was to say, I'm going to ask questions about who God is and who the Savior is and who the Holy Ghost is. And those are the questions you went into your scripture study with. Hmm. Right. And then, Carly, you, you mentioned the one, too, about listening. And I think that that's another huge key, right? Like how often do we go to the Lord in prayer and say, is there anything you would like me to know right now? Here's what I think about this situation. What do you think, right? It's the Alma 37, the Lord talks about counsel with the Mm -hmm. Lord and all thy doings. And I am often a one-sided talker as well. (laughs) And I've been thinking more lately, just trying to listen. And even says, right, learn of me, listen to my words, walk in the meekness of my spirit. And so how can we listen? Another way that I would say that I've come to know him is by listening to him through the mouth of prophets. He says, whether it's by my own voice or the voice of my servants, it is the same. This past week and a half, because of President Nelson's invitation and my desire to follow a prophet and expressing gratitude, I have learned some things about myself and about gratitude that I never knew before. And I have heard his voice because I have followed his prophet. And so I have a testimony through and through that one of the ways that we can get to know Heavenly Father and the Savior is through the words of his prophets. I love to spend time with General Conference. Again, as a single woman, I've, I realized, this is going to sound so, I hope it doesn't sound right, but like like sometimes Friday night I go on a date with prophets because <laughs> nobody's taking me to dinner, but I can, with my phone and with the app, I can access, mm-hmm. I have companionship, 
right? And the cool thing to me about it too is that often they say things to me that I need to hear at the time. Mm -hmm. And then they, they help me come to know the Savior better. I'm grateful for prophets. And it's it's super funny because, you know, you don't have a ton of access to them as like person to person. Mm -hmm. You know, most of us will never go sit down and have dinner with them or, or never that type of thing. But I feel like they're some of my best friends because they've done for me what friends do for you. And so, and they've done it for me and taking me to him. So I, I think that's another way, like, th but there's, I think there's a, a myriad of ways. Like people do it through art. They do it through music. Like there's so many ways to get to know him. And I think in, in our world today, like think about the types of friends you have, right? You have social media friends, you have work friends, you have church friends, you have neighborhood friends. And all of those friendships are at different levels and even fill different needs. Mm -hmm. And so part of what I'd say too is you have to determine what type of relationship you want to have with him. Do you just want to be a Facebook friend with him? You know, or do you want him to be a best friend? And depending on what type of friendship you want to have with him will depend on the amount of effort. Mm -hmm. Because with a Facebook friend, you might check occasionally, see what they're up to. Tell them happy birthday once a year. <laughs> yeah, when the calendar reminds you. Yes. Bless heaven for that, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, like that type of thing. Or, or you may get on somebody's and say, like their posts and be their follower, which is such a fascinating concept to me. Like, mm -hmm. if the Savior's on Instagram... What would it look like to be a follower of him on Instagram? Like, mm -hmm. what would his posts consist of? I think they didn't, of the scriptures. So what if you went to his words and you chose to like some of his posts, mm -hmm. you know, and mark them and, and then choose to live by him? Or I don't know. You get what I'm saying. But mm -hmm. I, I just think that whatever your desire for that, and not just with him, but the Father in heaven, I just think that you have to determine what type of relationship you have with them. And for me, my relationship with them is the most sacred and valuable relationship that I have. And I, I couldn't, I wouldn't get out of bed every day without them. And they are worth paying a price to come to know and to be with and to feel and to love. I, I think those, I don't know if those were practical enough. Or no, I, I really appreciate that. And I think what I heard, there were a few things that just struck me in what you shared, is that we really determine what our relationship looks like. Mm -hmm. And what I hear you describing, although it's, you know, maybe different depending on the person and what they're drawn to or what feels natural to them, is it's like a very active seeking. And I think so often, at least for me, I'm like, I'm waiting for you to reach out. Again, in this mm -hmm. analogy of a friend, it's like, I'm waiting for you to call me. I'm waiting for you to reach out to me and and then we can talk, you know, but it is what I hear is it's a very active pursuit and Heavenly Father is there and he's willing to engage with us as much as we are reaching out to him. And the other thing I feel like I heard is, and what I was reminded of is just that there's such an epidemic of loneliness in the world and you know, it's not just single people. I think anyone in any circumstance can feel very lonely and yeah. misunderstood. And what I hear is that there is someone who really, truly can always be there for us. And I think that's what most people are looking for. And mm -hmm. whether you're single or not, there won't always be someone that can be that companion to you. And what you're saying is, well, there actually is. And by developing a relationship with God, we can have that companionship and that therapy or cure for loneliness. In fact, I'll tell you one of the things I learned yesterday. So I mentioned just learning about gratitude from President Nelson's invitation. One of the talks I was led to study this past week was a talk from 2012, the Christmas devotional by Elder Uchtdorf, and it was titled The Good and Grateful Receiver. And it made me think about what it looks like to be a grateful receiver. And one of the insights that I had yesterday, because I've also been trying to figure out 
Going back to the loneliness, and you're right. One thing I've learned is that loneliness is no respecter of persons. It's in everybody in every way. I think a bishop's very lonely. I think Mm -hmm. a bishop's wife is very lonely. To watch your husband struggle and to not be able to have him share why and what and then to know how to try to sucker and nurture, which is so tough because that's what we're built to do in so Mm -hmm. many ways is just to love on and give. And um, anyway, you go through it like children and and this pandemic, I think, has, has brought out a lot of loneliness for a lot of people. So lately, I've been trying to say to Heavenly Father, like, grateful in any circumstance, grateful receiver, what does gratitude look like? And my friend recently emphasized, you know, you can be grateful and not have to be glad about Mm -hmm. your circumstance as well, right? Mm -hmm. And in the process of that, so I was thinking about, okay, so Heavenly Father, teach me, will you, like, what can I be grateful for about my circumstance, about being single? And I would say, I push all the things like family and friends, all that. I couldn't be more grateful. But this is the piece that really sure, yeah. aches in my soul, right? And the thought came yesterday of, because I'm single, one of the things I've learned to do is to be a good receiver. Like, I bought a house, and I don't know how to do anything, <laughs> right? Like, I mow my lawn because I had to grow up. I know how to weed. That's it, right? <laughs> and there's house needs. And so all of a sudden, and I'm like, Heavenly Father, you're you're my man. Like, you're the man in my life. But he's obviously you know, going to come and fix my leaky faucet, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But what does he do? He sends people. And if I don't receive them and receive help from other people— then I'm missing the opportunity to be taken care of, right? And and it's, it just was this mindset to me of like, because I've had to depend on other people because of my circumstance, I've developed a, or in the process of developing a godlike attribute of being a good receiver because God is a good receiver, mm-hmm. right? And Elder Uchtdorf points out that Jesus himself, he uses the example in Luke 7 when the, the woman comes and washes his feet with her tears and anoints him with oil. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, oh, you you know, I'm good. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I don't need that. Yeah. Right? He receives what she offers. So I think there's blessings like that I, I'm learning and seeing, even in the loneliness too, of some of that aching and things to recognize that he is so present. And I've had times, especially in the last six to eight months through this challenge, like uh, the pandemic, right? It's just been, for me, its own very refining and difficult, challenging time. Mm -hmm. But I've had times where I've been curled up in my bed crying, right? Alone and, and struggling and paralyzed with pain and emotion. And I have just known that he's there. And I've been frustrated with him. I'm like, you can take this, right? You can relieve this. Why are you relieving that? Like that, I've had those moments of like, I think I'm comfortable you're here, like sitting on the end of my bed, but not doing anything about it. I don't know if I like this or not. Okay, I do like it, but I don't like it because you can do something. You know, it's just this process of it. But I, I think that he can, he can come in any circumstance. And at times when he chooses not to or to be more distant, there's a purpose in it. But I think those are pretty rare. I think the distance we feel is usually us more than it is him. I think that we just need to go and see and ask him. So shifting gears a little bit, Sister Newbold, again, I love this combination of your experience teaching the gospel and your experience working in mental health and in therapy. And I just think you've shared, you know, there's such a crossover between the two and that they're actually very similar in a lot of ways. So in both of these experiences, you worked quite a lot with teens, with young adults, with their parents. And Shaylin and I are parents of very young children. We don't have any teenagers yet. But with your perspective and expertise working with these groups and working in seminary and in mental health, we'd love to hear your counsel to parents who are maybe struggling with 
their youth or who are concerned that maybe their kids aren't very interested in matters of faith. And whether that's being manifest in, I don't want to go to church on Sunday, or I don't care about seminary, or I don't care about family scripture study, or they're not really developing their own habits of faith and that that's discouraging or concerning to parents. And we just see questions from parents surrounding these ideas and these topics, and we would love to hear what counsel or encouragement you would offer to those parents and families. I think that's a powerful question. I love the youth. (laughs) That's probably the best way for me to simply state it. I love my calling. I love the opportunity to be on the Young Women's Board and to think about young women and visit with them and be with them. And in fact, I always tell people when they're interested in teaching seminary, I'll say to them things like, I know you love the gospel, but the question is, do you love teenagers? Yeah. (laughs) Because if you don't love teenagers as much as you love the gospel, you'll never make it in this profession, (laughs) right? It's a requirement. And And I love it because I think Heavenly Father gives us all gifts. Part of the gift that Heavenly Father has given me is to have a testimony about how He sees them, right, and how prophets are communicating. So in thinking about this, I I really love this quote by President Nelson, and he talked about the youth when he talked about the youth battalion, and Mm -hmm. he made the statement that our Heavenly Father has reserved many of His most noble spirits, perhaps I might say His finest team, for this final phase. Those noble spirits, those finest players, those heroes are you, as he was talking to the youth. And I have prayed and asked to be able to see what the prophet sees and to what ultimately what the Lord sees in them. And so I think that's one of the things that really helps me love them. And I point that out because I think as parents or even youth leaders, right, like in the church, you feel such a responsibility. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're really heavy on the verses of like if you— don't teach your children the sins upon your heads. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, and parents, there's an eternal covenant and responsibility for that. So I don't want to shortchange that like an ounce. Sometimes I think that responsibility, that the adversary uses that responsibility to keep parents in fear of their children's choices mm-hmm. or to keep them stuck instead of balancing it with and the Lord says, I want all of my children to work out their own salvation. With fear and trouble, mm-hmm. I've given I've given them agency to choose for themselves, right? So here it is: you give a parent the responsibility to teach them, and then the child, and then God says, "But I also want your child to have agency." So parents, you don't get to make their choices, but if they make the wrong choices, it's your responsibility, you know. And it just I think it gets confusing to mm-hmm. people. And when you really sort it out and study it out, which we don't have time for today in this environment, they're very balancing, right? The Lord says, "I, I want you to teach your children." And I want you to help them understand. And then Nephi says, well, we talk of Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ so that our children may know to what source they may look for remission of sins. Making the assumption that we're going to sin, we're going to make mistakes because we all are. Hmm. And so parents, when your children make mistakes, like, I don't mean to sound like unkind, but like join the club. Like every <laughs> every parent has child that made mistakes. In fact, if you think about it, Heavenly Father of all parents, has a third of his children that even chose to not even come and give birth a try because they rebelled against him and his plan. And then how many parents, if their child says, I don't want to go to church on Sunday, they're just like, oh, I haven't taught them well. Yeah. And I would just be like, if, if you determine good parenting based on whether or not your children do everything you ask Results. them to do, then Heavenly Father, how would you judge him as a parent? Hmm. So there's something in there, right, about that value, which I think if you can— 
balance these truths and these principles, it can take even just a breather, a little bit of space off your shoulders to say, you know, I do need to teach them, absolutely. And I need to walk the road with them. And one of the things I need to teach them is about repentance and about the Savior who allows us to figure things out and make mistakes. And my philosophy is if I have a kid struggling with their testimony, I actually would prefer that they they do it in my home while I have them as a teenager and not just wait, turn 18 and walk out the door and then go, like, because when they're home with me, we can work through it together. Mm-hmm. If they say, I don't want to go to church this Sunday and they don't go to church, then I can come home and be like, so how was it? Like, what did you learn? Sort of thing, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, it's mm-hmm. an exploration opportunity to do with my child when those moments can often come teaching moments too, right? And testifying moments. I found that lots of parents, especially on the therapy side, when when I would usually visiting with their teenagers, the parents were at the point where they needed extra help, right? Yeah. So kids were struggling and there was often a parent struggle. They had lots of battles and fighting and all things. And my conversation with the parent often ended up saying, do you think that they don't know that you believe that? Like, say whatever the issue is. You think that they don't know that you want them to go to church. They think that, you, that they don't know that, that you believe in marriage between a man and a woman only. You think they don't know that you believe. I mean, you name the issue that the kid's struggling with. And, and the parents would say, yeah, well, I think they do know that. And I'm like, then I don't know if you need to keep telling them. So what you're yeah. saying is you taught them. Right? The the teaching was communicated, right? If they understand. You know, there's always a balance in there. I don't know what it looks like all the time. And I think that's why you you have the Holy Ghost, and He's the most important person in any parenting, child relationship, husband, Mm -hmm. wife. Same Mm -hmm. thing, like, Heavenly Father loves us so much because He gave us the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's your guide for navigating all these experiences, right? But in that process, there are times, I think, when we're so heavy on the responsibility that we forget to allow the agency side of them for them to learn for themselves. We feel like we need to correct or direct instead of ask questions and walk the road with them and invite learning and them to discover truth for themselves because most of them have been baptized at eight. They have the same gift of the Holy Ghost that you do. And so more important than than telling them what their decisions should be is inviting them to figure out how to make decisions with the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. And so I think that lots of times, and and again, all all parents, I really do truly believe they're well-intentioned, right? Our hearts are right. So there's no criticism and no judgment in this process Mm because nobody taught, by and large, nobody teaches us how to be parents either, right? You know, there's— Oh, right. Totally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's just a lot of trial and error. And if we can be as forgiving with our children as Heavenly Father is with us and as we are asking Him to be with us, that's going to go a long way. And to your point of like, listen to the pattern, right? How does Heavenly Father communicate with us? He's given us His Word. We talk to Him in prayer and He listens. So when your child comes, you've given them the Word. When they come to you, do you listen? Do you direct? Do you fix? Right? Like, what is it? And, and I think that lots of times we're too quick to do some of those types of things. And if we follow Heavenly Father's example of how to parent, you know, look at Him at that and start to, to kind of do that, I think that we could learn a lot that way. I really love that idea. Yeah. I'm finding things that I can obviously start now, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in cultivating these relationships of discovery and exploration. I loved that you said that mm-hmm. and then being there to help guide them. That's amazing. I think what you highlight is just keeping the end goal in mind, which is for them to discover truth for themselves because us just dishing it to them doesn't produce the end goal that we want, which is 
kind of their own personal intrinsic relationship with Heavenly Father. That has to come from them. I love what you've shared. Well, right along that lines right now, we're focusing very heavily. Sister Corden feels really strongly in the Young Women's Presidency about enabling class presidencies. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's the same idea as a youth leader. If you are seeking to run a program, that looks very different than if you're building future leaders. Mm-hmm. Because running a program, especially as, like we often want things to be organized and we want to be straight. We want to be packaged up pretty and uh-huh. we want it to look good, uh-huh. all that type of stuff, right? And if you're looking to run a program, you're probably not going to give a lot of responsibility to an 11-year-old. That's messy. Yeah. <laughs> right? And they're very unreliable at yeah. times. And I can guarantee her chocolate chip cookies do not taste as good as yours. Right? <laughs> After your 40 years of baking and her her <laughs> six months and even with that. Right? Like there are things that just are not going to look like as if you did them yourself. And that would be a beautiful program. However, the purpose of Young Women's is to help these girls come into Christ and become like him. And my objective, I would say, is you create class presidents who are young women's presidents in five years. You create a, a young women who are missionaries and who are confident to go walk up and up, to, to conduct a meeting, to lead, because you, you've empowered them, not because you did the agenda for them and not because you had them do it without you. You did it together, mm-hmm. you know, and then you help them be successful. But success looks very different when you let the youth lead than it does when you do it on your own. And because the success is in their success, not in the program's success. And the program will have success if they are having success. That's what will change them. And I believe, again, with this generation who they are, they are prepared different, right? When you think about missionaries right now, what these missionaries are going through, I didn't have that experience. It is a testimony to me about the young women and young men who are out right now of how much God has trust in them. Their resilience, their ability to create and to innovate and to think mm-hmm. of new and different ways yeah, right now definitely. and to be successful because missionary work is succeeding through all of this. Like there's tons of people coming into Christ through this pandemic. And these young people have had to figure out new and different ways. And if anything, I look at it and I just I ask two questions of, holy cow, what do you need to be prepared for with what's coming? And then my other question just often is just like, what were you prepared with in the preexistence that prepared you for now? Mm. Because I just see the, the Savior preparing leaders in his church. And it's frustrating. And the hardest part is some parents don't know how to help them because we didn't have these experiences. Right. You know, it's, it's a new approach. It's a different approach, maybe. Yeah. And so part of that to me is another evidence of the shift of Heavenly Father saying, I know your mom doesn't know how to do this. I know that you're... Your district leader may not know how to do it. I know how to be successful right now. Come to me. Ask mm-hmm. me. Right? And just over and over, you see the Lord creating more of a reliance upon him through us. And he is, as President Nelson has taught us, he is anxious. Does God really want to speak to you? Yes. He is so anxious to reveal. and We just have to keep going and then be willing to try things that are new or unfamiliar. And I think that's the classic with teenagers, too. There's not a right and wrong way to raise a teenager. <laughs> your 14-year-old would be different than your 17-year-old. The only right in a ways is, is to stay true to the Savior, right? And then within that, there's a lot of the application that looks like a lot of space, but discover with them. That's amazing. So good. <laughs> I know. I could talk to you all day. Yeah. Um, it's so fun having you here with your different um, experiences and background that have really all come together to, you know, where you are today. Can I just make one more comment about the teenagers? Just be way more patient with yourself. 
and way more forgiving of yourself than you are. If Heavenly Father wanted his children raised by perfect parents, he would have kept us all himself. <laughs> so, so many parents, I think, spend so much time beating themselves up and listening on to the, the voice of the adversary that they miss opportunities to bless their children because they feel like they are a failure. And I would just say, you're doing better than you think you are. Because as a seminary teacher, you may not be able to get your kid to bear their testimony at home, but as a seminary teacher, that kid's raising their hand commenting in class. Sometimes they're the first one up. I mean, I can't tell you the number of parent-teacher conferences I've had over the years when I've shared with parents, yeah, and then she shared this and taught that, and they were like, my child? And I'm like, yeah, they are everything you raise them to be. They just Home's the safe place where everybody takes their armor off and crashes and yells at mom and dad, and mom and dad get the ugliest of us. <laughs> That's why families are amazing is because we're the ugliest with each other. We ought to be our best, but we really are the ugliest with each other there, right? And so I would just say, let Heavenly Father tell you how grateful He is for you. Allow Him to shower gratitude upon you because He is grateful for you. And you are making more of a difference than you could ever imagine. Well, thank you, Sister Newbold, so much for being here with us. It's been really valuable for me. Mm -hmm. We've really enjoyed the conversation, and we hope our listeners do too. So to those listening, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and the other conversations that we've had with other leaders and other women of faith. We love hearing from listeners, and we take your feedback to heart. So if there is a topic you would love to hear addressed, or if there's a guest that you would love to hear from, please feel free to contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org. We also want to make sure you know that this podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. So we are on the church's website. This podcast is also available on the Saints Channel mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google's Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere. So as you're sharing or thinking about people in your life who might benefit from these conversations, just know that you can check them out on all of these platforms. You could subscribe and leave us a review. So please share with your friends and family. Until next time, I'm Shaylin Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.